Hey everybody, this is Daniel Patrick, and this is episode number 34 of the Mandolins of Beer podcast, brought to you in part by my favorite website, the Mandolin Cafe. This episode is also brought to you by Peghead Nation. PegheadNation.com features a great lineup of mandolin instructors with courses including beginning mandolin and intermediate bluegrass mandolin with Sharon Gilchrist. She's also got her brand new course up there as well. Bluegrass mandolin jam favorites in the Advancing Mandolinist with Joe K. Walsh, Monroe-style mandolin with Mike Compton, Melodic Mandolin Tunes with John Reichman, Chord Melody Mandolin with Aaron Weinstein, Irish Mandolin with Marla Fibish, and Theory Mandolin for, or Theory for Mandolin and Fiddle with Chad Manning. Courses include high-quality multi-angle video lessons, downloadable notation and tab, play-along tracks, and plenty of tunes and songs to play. And check it out. Join any of Peghead Nation's video courses now and get your first month free. Just go to PegheadNation.com and use the promo code MandolinBeer at checkout. Yeah, so there you go. Check it out. Peghead Nation. Really good stuff on there. Uh, thank you so much to the uh, the new Patreon subscribers. I really, really, really appreciate it. Um, thank you all who have gone on and bought some merch here in the last week. I've got shirts, hats, and stickers available at mandolinsandbeer.com. The Patreon page is patreon.com slash mandolinsandbeer. It's 4 bucks a month to support the podcast and 8 bucks a month if you want to get the video and tabs that I posted. Today I posted a brand new lesson um, kind of based on Andy Leftwich's uh, podcast where he talks about triplets and show you how to play them with a metronome and then actually came up with an exercise where you do the triplets over the major pentatonic scale all five modes all 12 keys so that's all tabbed out as well of course you can always support the podcast for free just by clicking subscribe and going to the iTunes store and leaving a review uh, all that stuff is great so I hope everybody's taking care out there. We're going to get into this episode. Happy birthday to uh, David Grisman, 75 this week. Um, one of my favorite players for sure. Uh, I posted a video up there. His son put up a thing of um, a bunch of players, and I believe it's uh, Thank Dog uh, was the uh, hashtag, and there are a bunch of great players up there putting their favorite dog tunes. I put my, uh, my one of my favorite solos by him is the tune Rattlesnake. Um, and I learned the solo off of the Tony Rice album that he plays it on. And actually, I think maybe what I'll do is I've got that written out. Maybe I'll do that as a lesson on my Patreon as well. Anyway, lots of great songs on this episode that I've got a Spotify playlist started for. Don't forget to go to Spotify and follow the Mandolins and Beer Spotify playlist. You can find the link to that also at mandolinsandbeer.com. Thank you so much, everybody. Cheers. Take care of yourself, and I'll talk to you all next week. Now I'd like to welcome to the podcast, Andy Statman. Andy, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you very much. And I hope you're doing well as well. I am. I am. It's so good to, uh, to uh, have you on here. You, uh, you're a legend, man, in, in the fact that you're taking time to be on this podcast really means a lot to me. And I'm sure, I'm sure a, lot of, uh, a lot of the players out there are, uh, are excited to listen, too. It means a lot to me to be asked to do it, so thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, and we are we're talking here. It is it's March 19th, and uh, we're in the midst of all these crazy times for musicians who play music professionally. And um, one of the things you were talking about doing is you were going to start up with some online lessons. Yeah, I'm going to start um, offering online lessons. I guess on both uh, you know mandol mainly mandolin, but also you know klezmer clarinet people are interested and um um i was just uh i was just with david grisman earlier in the day and he really told me i should do it and my wife was telling me earlier in the day prior to that i should do it so i guess i'm gonna go ahead and do it so uh, yeah. i hope to have that up and running uh you know relatively soon in the next week or so that's great you um listening to your music you are just you are like the perfect example of someone who seamlessly blends styles of music. I mean, in, in the midst of a song, it's so seamless the way you you could start with something traditional bluegrassy, and it just goes off, and it's just awesome to listen to. So I can't imagine taking lessons from you. That that's that's incredible. Thank you, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, thank absolutely. You. And then you also mentioned that you also are in the midst of recording another new album. You have one that just came out in 2019, Monroe Bus, which we'll get to, 
But you also mentioned that you have been doing some recording on a new album as well. Yeah, at the uh, end of the summer, I was in Nashville for a few days and um, did basically sort of a, a bluegrass record of, um, you know, some Monroe tunes and, and a bunch of originals that I wrote. And, um, you know, and it's, uh, you know, it's a wonderful band. It's, it's um, you know, Mike Bubb and Brian Sutton and Brian Burline and Ron Stewart on, uh, you know, fiddle and banjo. Wow. And, and guest star Ricky Skaggs on a few cuts. Oh goodness, that's 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 a great lineup. Yeah, yeah. So hopefully we'll have that done. Uh, you know, as soon as uh, the corona subsides and we can get back into the studio. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, that's great. And you you recorded that in Nashville. Yeah, I did that in Nashville. Yeah, and mixing it up here in New York. Yeah, Brian Sutton. Whew, yeah, Brian. That guy is something else. Yeah, incredible. They're all incredible. Yeah. They're all. Really, yeah. you know, all of them are, are amazing. That's so cool. So, what drew you? What drew you to the mandolin? What was your your gateway into that instrument? Um, you know, when I was a, a, uh, I'll try not to get too long winded <laughs> with this. Um, I have a brother, you know, who's about seven, eight years older than me. So, when I was around ten years old, he was in college. He went to college a little bit early. And he was bringing home, that was, you know, the beginning of the folk revival, so he was bringing home Pete Seeger records, and you know, first Kingston Trio and Limelighters, then Joan Baez and Bob Dylan and Van Ronk, and, you know, not so much Pete Seeger, but uh, maybe a little bit. And then he started bringing home records, you know, mountain music, bluegrass style, on folkways, which uh, Mike Seeger had put together as, as a... Uh, compilation of all these great bluegrass musicians in the Baltimore, D.C. area, which was a hotbed of bluegrass back then, you know, and, and the country gentlemen on folkways. And, You know, I started, um, I was into listening to out-of-town radio stations on AM radio, and uh, if you sent them information, they would send you back a postcard with a picture of the transmitter. It was very romantic for a 10-year-old, 11-year-old, you know. Yeah. And I started hearing WWVA, and I started hearing all this, you know, they had live, uh, or taped, but, you know, country music starting, uh, you know, at 7 o'clock. In the evening, and you know, Doc Williams and Don and Earl and Lee Moore, and then they had the Jamboree, and they used to have bluegrass on that. So anyway, I I wanted to play banjo. I said, you know, this is what I want to do. So my brother had a guitar, so I learned how to play some guitar. And you know, we had um, I sent away for Doc Williams method, and uh, by the time I was about thirteen, that was when I was twelve. I started taking banjo lessons, and um, you know I got I got pretty good on the banjo, and I started going down uh, down in Greenwich Village. There's a place called Washington Square. Oh yeah, Washington Square. So on Sundays there, musicians would gather around the fountain there, and and in different groups and play. So I'd hang out with the bluegrass people and play, and um, you know it was just great. And and they were they were um, there was a preponderance of, of really, really good banjo players who were certainly better than me. And, um, you know, and around that time I began hearing mandolin. And, uh, the, you know, about the time I was 14, 14 and a half, I was thinking of making a change. Because one of it was um, on, um, it's Everly takes a solo on one of the, the um, Foggy Mountain Special, so I'm one of the flattened Scruggs, you know, uh, Earl Scruggs instrumentals, the blues. Um, that just used to give me the chills. 
and then and then I I loved you know um, Earl Taylor's mandolin playing on um, White House Blues on that mountain music bluegrass style and. Um, And uh, Jerry Stewart on this song called Rocky Run. And uh, I was, you know, so I, I finally made the decision, uh, that's it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to become a mandolinist. And uh, that, that's what I did. <laughs> you <laughs> that's know? great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, I was able to get a mandolin. What was, your, what was your first mandolin? Well, it was a Czechoslovakian mandolin with like sort of a, an oval hole with a pick guard um, that was sort of pasted to it with a flower on it, sort of an old world looking thing. Oh, and cool. um, uh, yeah, I remember I had it, you know, I lived, I was in the outskirts of Queens, which is sort of way out and yeah, I had to take a bus and a few subways. It took me like, I saw it out of, out of our car once um, <laughs> as we passed by you know, <laughs> in one shop. So I remembered, I figured out where it was, and I, when I had the money saved, I just went up there and, and uh, got it and came back. And uh, I had seen, uh, you know, David, David Grisman, you know, play at, my brother had a jug band that used to play at the Hoots they had, and people like Danny Kalp from the Blues Project used to play those, and what's his name? Um, uh, uh, um I forgot his name now. It escapes me right now. But um, anyway, so, so David was in a group called the Garrett Mountain Boys with people like Fred Weiss and Winnie Winston, Joey Stecker, Gene Lowinger, and they would play these things. And uh, you know, I got David's number, and uh, you know, wound up taking about four or five lessons with him over the course of like two years. And um, you know, it was perfect for me because I, you know. I already had some understanding of the music and the vocabulary, not so much the mandolin vocabulary, but the music. And I understood some theory through my guitar playing and, and banjo playing, and my fingers were already, you know, muscularly developed to some degree on, on a fretted instrument. So um, David sort of had this do-it-yourself homeschooling method whereby I would see him and he would... Uh, I, if, uh, was it the first song he showed me was... Um, I know it was bluegrass breakdown. I, I forgot whatever what it was, but um, you know he lived down in, in the East Village then, and uh, you know I, it would take me about by train and uh, bus, you know, an hour and a half, two hours to get there, and uh, and I would uh, you know, he lived in the Coldwater flat where there was the bathroom for everyone on that floor was in the hallway, and um, you know a shared bathroom and. Uh, he would show me this song, and uh, and so I'd learn how to do it. And uh, they said, "Oh, if so, if you do this like the mandolin is, you know, is very logical." I said, "If you can do, if you get this like this and this like this, that means you can do it like this." And you know, everything sort of started filling in. He said, "Listen," uh, he told me to bring a tape recorder, so I slept this this heavy reel to reel, <laughs> and he had tapes of all the Bill Monroe 78s and um, 45s and live shows, oh, wow. Bill Monroe and Jimmy Jesse and the Oz, you know, so he just said, you know, he said, um, he record this thing first, and, and this is what became the, the kitchen tapes of Frank Wakefield and Red Allen. David was sort of like a protege. So, so he said, yeah, record this. He says, I have to leave when you go. Just lock the door and give me a call when you're stuck. So I, I, I recorded the thing, went home, and basically I, I just played hooky from school for, for you know, in high school, you know, and I, I learned how to play, you know, every note that Frank played as best as I could. Wow. You know, a few months later I gave him a call and he, uh, 
he would, you know, say, great. And I said, how do you do this? And he'd say, you do this like this. I said, oh, that means, you know, that answered another question. So that's how you do this. And then he said, I record these old Bloom and Rose shows and this Jim and Jesse, you know. And he would, um, <clears throat> this went on for about two years. And in the course of that, he used to, he was playing with Red Allen. And there were some, um, like, country music, uh, you know, bluegrass bars out in, um, in rural New Jersey uh, that he used to get me into. I was like 15 and 16 when he was playing with Ray Allen. And, uh, you know, no one, they were, everyone was glad I was there. I got to, got to know the musicians and I was playing in some bluegrass bands in New York and we used to go down to this place called Sunset Park out in rural Pennsylvania, right right on where De- Dell and Jerry McCurry were from. And uh, we, used, we used to, you know, get to see uh, Jimmy Martin and Bill Monroe and the Osborne brothers and, you know, I mean, I, I met Vassar when I was 15 there, and, and wow. we, you know, we became friends and hit it off, and, you know, I, I wound up touring with him and recording with him and him recording with me and stuff, and uh, so anyway, so that's, you know, about the age of, uh, you know, I, I was starting to be exposed to um, other musical trends that were happening simultaneously, and, um, you know, uh very early, you know, I was at some of those parties, you know, with Tex Logan, with Bill Monroe Band, and, you know, Richard Green was listening to, like, Joe Venuti and, and Stefan Grappelli and all that stuff, and they were all listening to Django and stuff, Smith, so I began listening to that, and, <clears throat> I, you know, I started to listen to a, a lot of jazz. I started listening to, to um, you know, Mingus and Bird and Dizzy Gillespie and Coltrane and, you know... Uh, I was hearing all this stuff, and, uh, you know, I was sort of, by the time I was, you know, 16 and a half, almost 17, I sort of had developed my own style, and I must have learned how to play hundreds upon hundreds of of mandolin solos, particularly of Bill Monroe and Jesse McReynolds and, and Bobby Osborne and Frank Wakefield and Herschel Sizemore, you know, and John Duffy and... You know, I, 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 you know, to me it mattered um, whether Monroe did five hits on a tremolo or three hits on a tremolo because wow. I, I saw that it had a different feel if 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 you did three or five. It it, it was integral to the feeling of the um, of of the solo, and uh, you know I began developing my own language, um, but. Uh, you know, I began to feel that as as great as as the instrumental tradition is in bluegrass, I felt that the real heavy stuff is in the singing. You oh, know, yeah. And, yeah. and 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 I felt you know, and I'm not a singer, um, and I wasn't sort of looking to to be a singer, although I sang a little bit later on. But um, you know, so, so um, I remember hearing on the radio. Um, a record called Albert Eiler in Greenwich Village on Impulse. I don't know if you're familiar with Albert Eiler. I'm not. But uh, he was at that point in his career um, playing with a band. Um, he was an alto saxophonist, played tenor also, and, and, and composed. Probably more of a tenor player. And he had a band that was that sounded like something like it, somewhere between a Balkan band and a Salvation Army band, sort of very folksy, heartfelt, um, almost hymn-like melodies. And then they would start playing with just sound textures, and, and there'd be no, there'd be no rhythm. The drum would just be playing free, basically going berserk. <laughs> and they started playing, um, you know, with tone colors, you know, with yeah. different different sounds, and and you know, for like a, a you know, I was 17 years old, you know, I said, yeah, this is it. This is super high intensity, high energy. This is this is what I want to do, and. Uh, so I said, you know, I want to get into jazz, and I decided I didn't want to do it on the guitar or the violin because I thought I might be bringing some of the bluegrass stuff into there, and I wanted to learn something really different. And mm. I also felt that with the breath, I could, you know, would be a very good way of expressing feelings. So um, I decided I was going to play saxophone. And we had an old saxophone in the house. I got it fixed. And... Um, um, you know, Mark Hyre, I don't know if you know who Mark Hyre was, like a tremendous, uh, great, great banjo player. He's actually, I think, Bella's first teacher. Oh, no um, kidding. And he uh, he did a lot of studio work, and he, he played, he, he toured with Bill Monroe. He didn't, they asked him to join. He didn't want to be on the road. <laughs> I know when, when, when Doc Watson came to town and Merle 
uh, couldn't make it. Doc would ask him to play banjo and guitar. I know when Reno came to town, Reno would ask him to play the banjo and Reno would play play guitar. Um, amazing, amazing musician. Um, so his brother is a f- fabulous um, uh, jazz piano player, and uh, he played with a guy named Richard Grando, um, saxophone player who had learned to play from uh, Sonny Stitt and was, uh, you know, very much into the Coltrane thing and the world music thing. And all this stuff, you know, was like the time of uh, spirituality and music and using music as a spiritual uh, um, path. And, you know, so I started studying um, with Richard. I didn't think I'd be playing, um, you know, much mandolin, but, um, you know, I was in several, you know, like blues and rock and roll bands. And, and then we used to just jam and I would take out the mandolin and we'd, we play a lot of what they used to call free improvisation back then. So I was doing that on the mandolin. And, uh, you know, um, should I keep going? Yeah, um, man, you know. absolutely. Uh, anyway, um, I, you know, I wound up um, deciding I, I had to sort of make a scene in order to, to start getting some, you know, real work other than some, you know, bar work, you know, with, with rock and roll bands and, and blues bands. And I remember... Um, <clears throat> Uh, and I'm, I'm trying to think which came first. Uh, I, re, I so I started making this scene down in the village, and um, I mean around this time I got a call out of nowhere from uh, Peter Wernick, and they wanted me. They, they had this band Country Cooking with Tony and Russ Barenberg and Kenny Kosek and Peter and Nandi and John Miller. player for their second record um so i said sure i'll do it you know it's all original music and i had written some tunes they used and that sort of got me back into that whole scene and i also began going down to the village to um to uh you know make some of the scenes down there and, and i knew bromberg from when i was you know 15 16 playing down in the village in, in the bluegrass scenes and uh you know we sort of hit it off so he at that point he was recording for columbia you know, and he'd been recording with people like Dylan and, you know, a lot of people in the folk world. He was a, 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 a very desired sideman. And he put out his first Columbia record. I think George Harrison was on it. And um, he was playing, you know, mainly with a, a bass player who was also a, a phenomenal guitarist, a guy named Steve Berg, who unfortunately died a number of years ago. And um, and had, like like, local people sitting in with him. You know, Pete Eklund on trumpet, and Doris Abrams, a great singer and guitar player, and Eric Franzen, and myself, and Kenny Kosek, and other. Anyway, so I started making two or three of these jams, and the next thing I knew, he, he asked me to, to, you know, to join his band and go out on the road with him. So I went from, you know, <laughs> you know, playing these bars and stuff, to all of a sudden, you know, I'm on, on a, in, in a touring band for Columbia Records, you know, with tour support, getting salary, you know, whether I'm, you know, working or not. And, yeah. and playing playing these venues, you know, with, and uh, and Columbia so, at the time is just like just huge label. Oh, it was, it was, yeah, it was great. Yeah. It was great. So I mean, I so David was very kind. Yeah, he used to bring me down to these sessions. I remember we once did a, 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 one or two days of sessions. It was for the Doug Sam Quintet, and and he had on that on that thing like Fathead Newman and 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 um, and Dylan and Flacco Jimenez and. So, you know, I was playing on those sessions as well. You know, it was, it was, it was, it was pretty wild. Yeah, um, holy cow. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, I mean, I, you know, with Flacco, I mean, I, the, I had gotten this, uh, this, the, uh, this, this uh, folk heritage fellowship from the, the, uh, the uh, was the NEA, you know. Yeah, the National um, Endowment of the Arts. Yeah, 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 yeah. So Flacco got it the same year that I got it. So we 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 sort of really reconnected. That it was great. That's amazing. So, but, but anyway, so, so so um, and then we did these sessions out in California. Um, we did three days, uh, 
three or four days with the Grateful Dead, oh, and cool. as, as a, you know, and uh, you know, I played mainly saxophone on that, and then we did some duets with me and uh, uh, Garcia and David. You know, did a few do you know trios. Oh wow! And, uh, you know, and he had you know, it's like so, like, like it's just sort of astounding. You know, I got my name in Rolling Stone, which was a big deal then, and uh, you know, so it was, I mean, you know. And, uh, you know, David was really, David Bromberg was the first person, I believe, to really take different types of roots music from, you know, Chicago blues, country blues, bluegrass, you know, topical folk songs, singer-songwriter things, and put it in one show and combine it all and, and, and make it work. And, uh, you know, I, I, before I worked with him, uh, I always felt I was like, a, you know, I was I was a good amateur, but I didn't feel I, I I saw this like almost invisible screen between professional and amateur. Mm-hmm. And after you know after you know the first you know few gigs or whatever, I sort of felt I'd walk through that that screen. You oh, know, that's it, great. It interesting. Yeah, yeah. But uh, you know, and then um, I'm just rambling on here. You know, we we some of the members of that band and uh, and country cooking. Uh, formed this band called Breakfast Special. Living in a room the size of a dollar bill, my friend. I've done it before, but I don't think I ever will again. I don't have to live in the country, I'm just trying to get back home. was, uh, you know, on the bluegrass circuit, you know, from, I guess, the, the early 70s until the mid-70s when we sort of split and people went in, in different directions. And uh, that was a band with uh, myself and, and Kenny Kosek and Tony Tristan, uh, the late Stacy Phillips and Jim Tolls. And uh, we, we had a, a, the main drummer was Richard Crooks, who was, uh, worked with Dr. John a bunch. And, uh, you know, some of the, the studio guys in New York who go out, Barry Lazarowitz and, and a bunch of other people. Mm-hmm. So, um, oh, also, I say with Bromberg's band, we actually did a bunch of rehearsing with Dylan and backed him up at, at, at you know, on, on, came out as a special guest on some, some gigs we did. So, oh, no kidding. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's sort of like from, you know, so, so a local kid from out in Queens, and here I am sort of thrust on the stage. It's like really very, very interesting. That's so, amazing. You know, yeah, yeah. Well, I, you know, I was very lucky. I was in the right time at the right place. You know, thank God. I was just very, very lucky. Any, anyway, the, the um, so that that's that's you know, Breakfast Special was a band that sort of went in too many directions simultaneously, and we never really had a, a lead singer. So we were simultaneously like a, a traditional bluegrass band and a and a Hawaiian band and a rock and roll band and a country band and a jazz. But it was just like. You know, and uh, there was just sort of this improvised comedy thing that was happening on the stage. And uh, I used to do this thing uh, called the talking saxophone, where I talk through the saxophone. <laughs> and and uh, Carl, you know who Carlton Haney was, right? Yeah. He loved it. I mean, he was right <laughs> up his alley, like an old carnival thing or vaudeville thing. So he used to write breakfast special featuring the talking saxophone. He just used to, you know. Yeah. So that band, you know, we did a record a year after we broke up just to have some, you know, sort of documents there. And then after that, you know, people, I, I started getting more into different types of uh, world music and, and uh, you know, and jazz. And, you know, every, everyone sort of moved in different directions after that. Yeah. Going back to you um, sitting down with some of those Monroe recordings, how did you go about learning some of that stuff? Like you mentioned, like you wanted to know if he was, you know, was it three hits or five hits? Like what was your process for going through and just learning all those things at that? Because now, now it's easy with the computer, <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, then, but then, then uh, on most um, LP players, you could go down to, to, to um, 16 mm-hmm. and what is it? Three, I, I forgot what it was. Which it basically is half speed, or on a reel to reel, you can go down to half speed. Oh, gotcha. And when I began transcribing solos, I like the first few, few I did, 
you know, it might take me, you know, five, six hours to, to get to get the solo or, you know, the, the tune, whatever. And then you keep practicing, and, and then, like, within two, three months, it would take me maybe, you know, an hour and a half, and then, you know, down to a half an hour. And then I could almost do it without having it being slowed down, and then it got to the point to, to where I could hear what the mandolin player was playing, and I, and I knew what key he was in, you know, by his choice of notes and things. So it's uh, it's really ear training, basically. Sure. Oh no! Did you go to school for, to like to learn how to like write out music and all that stuff too? No, you know I studied um, with a guy named Adolf Sandoli for a while. I studied theory, um, and uh, he was one of the Sandoli brothers. His his other brother had a school in in uh, in um, Philadelphia where a lot of people studied. Um, you know, and I guess amongst them Coltrane and, and a few other people, and um, he. Um, you know, so I, I I basically learned you know a lot of theory from him, mm-hmm. and uh, he also required piano playing, and it sort of and it sort of began to hurt my hands, and also I wasn't, um, you know, at that point I was not that interested in playing lots of standards, <laughs> so, so and, and this thing was based on that. I was more interested in, in writing my own music, so. Um, so, you know, after, I don't know, a year or so, I, I stopped, but I, I, it really grounded me in, in basic theory, and I, I really learned a lot. So, you know. Yeah, because you also, you, um, you're the one who uh, transcribed maybe the most sought-after mandolin book uh, of mandolin books probably ever, ever done, the Jesse McReynolds book. Oh, yeah, yeah. That thing is like the holy grail. Every time I go into a used bookstore, man, <laughs> that's the first thing I'm like, you never know. <laughs> yeah, I should, I should, I should really put that out again. I should, I, I, yeah, I should try and get the rights to it and put it out. I don't think it's difficult. Um, it would probably do really well because it is still. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it, it is like the holy grail of of music books if you can find it. You know, I mean, a, a lot of stuff there is based on, like, live shows from from the 50s and, you know, that, that Jesse did, stuff that he never recorded, things that he innovated that, that he never recorded. And I, I figured out some things on there that he asked me not to put in. <laughs> so, 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 so um, you know, and, and he still, you know, I mean, he's still... Uh, He's still figuring out things, making up things, and stuff like that. I'm not, I'm not as up on his playing as as, as I should be. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, he was, uh, you know, I mean, the guy's an absolute genius, absolute genius, and, and an amazing player, and uh, really a very innovative, um, regular melodic player. You know, a single string player as opposed to uh, to um, you know the, the, all the amazing cross picking stuff. And, um, you know, another guy I studied really heavily, the guy who really sort of set me free was listening to Bobby Osborne. I mean... That really made, a, a, you know, he made a huge impression on 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 me back when you know, I was just learning how to play. And uh, what was it about it? What what was it about his playing that was really, really um, inspiring to you? Well, it was it was a um, it was an explicit explicitly melodic type of playing, as opposed to sort of a, a tremolo melodic playing, or say a Bill Monroe type of playing, mm-hmm. you know, or, or, or say Jesse cross-picking playing. It was, you know, it was um, stating, stating melody in, in, in um, explicitly rather than sitting up having a melody implied, um, like say Bill Monroe might do. I don't know if that, if you understand what oh, I mean. Oh yeah, absolutely. That. Yeah. And, um, but, you know, I, I love I love all of those, but the thing with with, with Monroe was 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 the, the the depth and power of the feeling. Not that the others didn't have feeling, but Monroe, you know, went to a certain place that 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 um, 
you know, I could really relate to, you know, emotionally. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, particularly his, you know, his duets with Jimmy Martin and, and Ed Mayfield and, you know, you know, the, the original Bluegrass Boys stuff and even the stuff before that. I mean, it's just, you know, Monroe was, uh, you know, he's, he's really very well grounded in the traditions that he synthesized. And, um, you know, before you're talking about being able to go from one style to another, I mean, you really need to be grounded in in in, um, in in the languages that you're working with to really to really make it work and make sense you know and, and the thing to do is you really need to master the vocabulary and the style of one music and, and find your own voice in it I think before you really go on to another style and, and then you'll know what to do and what to look for and you know you'll you'll understand basically what makes up a style right like uh I mean, they used to say this years ago, I don't know if they do now, like bluegrass was a great training ground. If you really know how to play bluegrass, you know, you understand form, time, tone, um, variation, how to play a melody, how to bring something out of a melody, how to, um, you know, you know, just do all these amazing musical things. So, Absolutely. You know, and, and, and there are dance tunes and there are more introspective tunes, you know. So if you go to another style of music, then, then you'll sort of understand how it's ticking. You'll know what to look for and understand how to, how to, uh, how to relate to it. And, uh, you know, so for me, bluegrass is really a, uh, you know, a, a really wonderful, um, uh, um, you know, first style to, to really learn and I still continue to play it. I mean, I, I, I you know, I, I, I love it as much as I did when I originally started playing That's it. That's so great. Yeah. Yeah. I have a bluegrass band. I hear, I play here with New York, play around and, uh, I, you know, I just enjoy it. Yeah. That makes complete sense that you're rooted in bluegrass because even before I first heard you play, even though the first song I heard from you wasn't really, uh, bluegrass per, per se, it was just amazing. And even though you um, can play fast and really get out there, uh, it still oozes soul and feel to me. Yeah, well, I mean, for me, the whole thing is is, is the feeling of the music. That that that's that's what excited me, particularly when I was, um, you know, when I was <clears throat> just getting into it. You know, I've been listening to songs like, you know, I'm traveling down that lonesome road, or, or you know, on the old Kentucky shore, or you know, blue I'm lonesome, you know, and and. Uh, you know, some of the gospel, you know, quartets, and, and uh, I didn't even know most of the words to the songs, and to me, a lot of times, they'd just be sort of words, and then I'd even, you know, I, in retrospect, I didn't understand some of the words they were saying, <laughs> but the words were not, you know, it's only in my later years that, that I've gotten more interested in, in the lyrics, you know, but I, I was mainly interested in the, in the feelings of the melody and the harmony, and basically the feelings that the musicians were giving that in many ways transcended the words. You know the 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 music, particularly in bluegrass, not all the time, but it it really transcends the, the meaning of the words. I agree. I'm the same way, and a lot of times too. Even sometimes the uh, the lyrics are surprisingly darker than say the melody or the feel. Sometimes, like sometimes a song, I'm always surprised. Like 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 you said, every now and then you go back and you listen to the words of a song, or you're gonna learn one. You're like, oh, this is a <laughs> this is a, this is a dark song, <laughs> but you would never. The melody is just beautiful you know yeah it's 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 um you know the, the um in sort of in, in uh there's a, there's a branch of 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 um you know judaism called hasidism it's, it's sort of a, a mystical movement amongst other things and you know music was used as as a way of, of achieving a spiritual state and, and a connection with god and, and and some of the great mystics who were leaders of the movement they, they, they said they said that that um Music can go on, you know, even though you have all these mystical, deep, profound um, religious texts, they said that music can go higher than words because music isn't encumbered by the conceptions of words. It can can go higher than the words. That's amazing. Uh, Yeah. That's melody. Melody without words. So, I mean, it it was, you know, it was those feelings from those songs, you know, you know, you know, sweet of mine, can you hear me calling? And times, you know, I'm not thinking about a love song. I'm just, I'm, my mind is just blown by the harmonies and the melody and the feelings that they're giving. You know, to me, it's really all about feelings. Ideas to me are just really need.
need to be vehicles for, like, I enjoy good ideas, but the ideas need to be a vehicle for feeling. Right. You know, you know, you got to really say something with, with, with what you're doing in terms of, uh, for me, feeling. That's what I'm drawn to. I hear a lot of music that's, that's technically wonderful and a lot of brilliant ideas, um, and I can appreciate it and learn from it, but um, it's not music that I would always um, come back to listen to, although mm-hmm. I, I, it's, it's, it's first rate, you know, it's top-level music, but it, it's not exciting to me as, as you know, something that's much uh, simpler or and not played well, but has has a tremendous feeling to it. Yeah. Well, it's it's obvious in your playing and in, in, in your albums. I mean, you're... Well, thanks. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just like your, your albums are like roller coaster rides sometimes. It's, there's, it's beauty and in, in, in then just driving and then just, in, in I, and I mean this in the kindest words, but like out into space and then right back in. And it each, it's like, it's exciting to listen to each album as, you know, because they're just, you never know what to expect. There's like all these great twists and turns. Yeah, you know what, I mean, I decided a while back that, that um, you know, if I need to play in a traditional context, um, you know, I, I can do it, and sometimes I will, you know, if that's the appropriate thing. But other than that, I said I'm just going to, you know, let let the music happen and, and just just see where it goes and, 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 and play and, 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 you know, have faith in, in, in what I'm doing and, and let it go where it goes. You know, it's... Um, so different ideas will, you know, interact and, uh, you know, you, you, you develop your own language, you know, within a language of what, or, or of what you've learned. You know, like Bill Monroe, when he put together bluegrass music, he, he, he synthesized a whole bunch of different elements that were happening, you know, around him and that he learned. And, um, you know, I think any, any great musician sort of, uh, well, not, not all, not all people are synthesizers, but he, uh, you know, he was one and he was uh, certainly a model for me. And, and, you know, um, when I started getting into saxophone, um, uh, that really pushed me also into different types of uh, world music and, you know, klezmer music and a bunch of other things. So I, you know, I mean, the music for that I play really reflects who I am and what my experiences are and, you know, you know, where I live, what I do. And, um, you know, that's, it's, you know, as, as I get older, I see it more and more that the music is just really a reflection of, uh, of who you are. Yeah. That's great. It was Flatbush Waltz. Is that your first album? Your first like, yeah. solo album? Yeah. Did, so did the when you turned that to a record label, did they have any idea that it was going to be, um, you know, or did they have a preconceived notion of, oh, it's this great bluegrass mandolin player? Or was it, uh, did they already know that you already had pretty eclectic taste? Because, you know, it goes from, you know, yeah, like bats and bells, for instance. <laughs> it's just like... You would not expect that if you were to be like, "Oh, this guy's got a mandolin on the cover." <laughs> no, you know, I had at, at that, you know, I had already, um, you know, um, you know, country cooking was, uh, uh, you know, one of the early rounder records, and they heard I was playing, you know, pretty, you know, um, in pretty much my own style, you know, you know, you know, at that time. So they knew what I played, and certainly they they were big Breakfast Special fans. And we did all sorts of wild 
crazy, you know, different types of, of music when we were playing. And um, uh, so they, you know, I, I sent them a demo, and uh, which didn't wind up not having to do a lot with the record, but just some songs I wrote. And then um, they just said, you know, they gave me a budget, and, uh, you know, we went and, and, uh, and did it. And they they didn't really quite know what to make of it. <laughs> you know, like they didn't know how to promote it. They liked it, but they didn't know quite how to promote it. And um, it was just uh, the whole thing was just, you know, just tunes I wrote, which were scored and I can, you know, improvise on. And, uh, you know, some sort of like, uh, you know, some jazzers type tunes, you know, or, or tunes that went and, you know, reflected different influences. It was just, you know, it was really just tunes I wrote based on everything that I was sort of doing, you know, at that time. And simultaneously, I put out my first Klezmer record, you know, at the same time on a different label, which was the Shanaki label, which was up until then was a completely uh, uh, Irish label. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> they, they did all the great Irish bands, you know, the Bossy Band and the Dan and all the, you know, yeah. and all the, re, all the reasons of the 78s. And then they became a a big uh, reggae label and then a big cool jazz label. And, uh, you know, so, uh, so I was recording for, you know, both those, both those labels simultaneously. That's so cool. Yeah. yeah, that's and great to have an outlet at, at that as well to be able to exercise oh, all was, these things. Uh, you know, I'm 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 really grateful for them because they they never, um, you know, they just let me do, and then I did a second record for them. Uh, I, I, I'm not sure which was first. I did a duet record with David Grisman. mandolin abstractions yeah yeah and and uh <clears throat> and um and then i did a record uh, national mornings new york nights which i did the half of it was in in vassar's studio with uh twin fiddles by vassar and uh, jimmy buchanan and bella was on it and jerry douglas and uh you know russ barenberg and marty confurious on bass and myself and then i did the uh you know, half of the record in New York here with with the New York crew was, um, you know, Matt Glazer and Kenny Kosek and, you know, Bob Jones and, you know. Yeah. Marty. Yeah, so it was, uh, you know, that that's an interesting, right? you know, some nice tunes on that. And, uh, you know, things moved on. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. I, did, I did that Bluegrass record front, and that was the last thing. It was Andy's Ramble. Andy's Ramble, yeah. Which was, you know, which was, uh, you know, Tony's on that and, and Vassar and Kenny playing twin fiddle. John Schultz, the late John Schultz, playing guitar and slide guitar, and uh, Roger Mason on bass. So um, then the next one I did was 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 for Sony, and then um, I, I didn't really do any recording on my own for a while. And then I then uh, my friend Edward Haber, um, you know, we started this, this label called Sheffer. So we did uh, the the first re two records simultaneously. One was a clarinet record of of you know, of, of uh, Jewish tunes, and one was a uh, a, a record of um, some original mandolin tunes and some bluegrass tunes, and you know, um, called East Flatbush Blues. And actually, our version of Rawhide on there was got a uh, Grammy nomination for the uh, best country music instrumental, a category which no longer exists. So, I just found the whole thing sort of so you know amazing, and. Um, 
you know, and of course we didn't win, but it was, it was, you know, as 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 Mac Wisen says, too sweet to be remembered. So I was, I was, uh, you know, I was, you know, so I, I actually got to, see, you know, to see that whole, that whole thing. I, I went out that year. It's very interesting. I bet. And, uh, <laughs> you know, then uh, <clears throat> we did that record, um, Old Brooklyn, the double album, mm-hmm. and uh, and that's with. Um, you know, Byron's on that, and John's on that, and uh, Bruce Mulsky's on it, and Paul Schaefer's on it, and uh, Lou Solos, the, the, the great late uh, trumpet player. And then the one after that was Monroe, uh, was uh, Super String Theory with, with uh, Michael of Cleveland, and uh, Tim O'Brien, and me and Larry and Jim. You know, we had the trio. Yeah. I've had this trio for about 20 years, so... That's great. It sounds like you yeah. guys have been together for twenty years. <laughs> I mean, that's just, it is one tight band. We have we have no real program. We have no real arrangements, and we just you know uh, we just sort of communicate you know with the eyes, and we you know um, everything just happens sort of spontaneously. We've been doing it together so long, and it's it's one of the. Um, you know, like you don't have working bands together so much anymore, like with the same personnel, at least in the New York area. You know, everyone is freelance, but this is a working band. We all do freelance, but it's it's a working band that's been together for, you know, you know, 20 years plus. And that leads us to the new album in Robus. Yeah. tracks um in four days we recorded a, there's probably about six or seven other tracks that we recorded that are not on that record and 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 you know the last day was for you know michael how to how to get back so we we devoted basically the last day you know for him to get overdubs done or whatever we wanted to get done you know and uh um and then um you know, I've I used to like when I did my earlier records. I used to like everything to be sort of like cinema verite. I want them to to be like live records, like the East Flatbush Blues was recorded live. You know, um, and, you know, no overdubs. You know, no nothing, just all, all live. And I used I used to like that aesthetic. But once I began to see what um, Pro Tools were and what they can do. It, it I, I became you know it just changed everything around because I realized that I could I could record some music <clears throat> and then take you know a few weeks to listen to it and then come back and say you know let's double this section here let's add a new section here let's do this here let's put in some sound effects here let's you know and and I found that the the um, as much as I, I love the tracking and the the um, you know, and, and the recording, the, the, the mixing for me is, is really the hardest, but in some ways um, the most fun. Of course, you can make all sorts of incredible um, creative decisions with Pro Tools that, um, you know, you couldn't do 20 years ago. You know, uh, you know, I've just been, like I said, I've been very lucky, been very fortunate. People have, you know, taken out time, you know, to show me or teach me and, and, uh, and just the fact that I was able to meet these different musicians and, uh, you know, spend time with them is, is just, you know, just an amazing thing. So, um, you know, I mean, in, in many ways, I, I think for a lot of musicians, music, musicians really becomes the, the, the road that you travel, which, which uh, you know, through which you sort of uh, get everything, <laughs> so to speak. Yeah, and I just love that you can hear it in your playing. I love that you can... You, you're playing just all these things. You can feel the experiences and the the styles of music and the the different emotions of music. You know, on on all your recordings, it's just so cool, man. Yeah, it's it's you know, and it's I mean, it's, music is is endless. It's like it's it's like the sea, <clears throat> and it's um, 
what I should mention again, this you know, is, is, you know, I I I have worked and still continue to to work with uh, Yitzhak Perlman since the uh, mid '90s. Oh wow! I've you know, been recording and yeah. a bunch of touring, and uh, you know when we uh, you know when we do play, we do usually a bunch of my tunes. You know, I play you know on the, on the mandolin, and we just improvise. I play some clarinet and some all You know, we we do a lot of improv- improvisation. Improvisational music together. Oh man! And he's he's an amazing, amazing player, and uh, you know he can tell you stories like like you wouldn't believe. And I'm I'm there with him for hours, you know. So I say, uh, you know, Yitzhak, uh, how would you do this? This is what I do this technically, you know. And he says, well, you know, if you, like I, I just I would just ask some outright technical questions. He'll, he'll, he'll tell me, and he usually says, you know, I say I do this, this, you know, whatever works is is the way to go, you know. I'm I'm, I'm just 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 very lucky, and I've been able to, uh, you know, eke out a living, you know, since I'm a teenager doing this. So uh, so you, great, you know, you know, maybe even more amazing. <laughs> so um, <laughs> and hopefully we'll be able to continue to do so after this coronavirus. Yeah, and all of no them. kidding, man. So um, crazy. So I mean, so. You know, my, my my advice, I guess, for musicians is is that the there's there's um you know with the internet and everything, there's almost a overabundance of music and styles that you can learn, and it's almost like looking at the sun and becoming blind. You know, you can you know there are a lot of musicians who have a sort of a classical classical chop, so to speak, or basic chops. But they haven't really learned any one style really well. So they can play bluegrass okay, and they can play Irish okay, and then maybe they can play some Balkan music okay. Some you know, but they never got really deep into any one style. And what's going to happen is when you move from style to style, you might be able to do a, a, a decent job in the different styles, but you're not going to really get to the depths that's really in there because you haven't live there long enough you haven't put the time in, 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 in into any one of those styles to really make it make it your own right you know what i'm saying yeah, to understand absolutely. what understand that language and it's it's um i would suggest that <clears throat> that people who like multiple styles like probably everyone does now or most people you while not exclusively listening to one style or learning that you really need to take a stand i i believe in one thing and just really go as as deep as you can in that into that style and and really try and learn how to reproduce on your instrument what what you know what your role models are in that style and and then start to develop your own style and and eventually you'll have your own style in that and once you can sort of do that you know then you'll be able to go to the next style and 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 do a similar thing but it's uh you know t- to really get one style happening it's it's really a lifetime thing it's it's always changing you know you never you know you play differently every day your instruments sound differently every day you're going to hear you know, recordings differently every day. So it's just something that's constantly um, changing, you know, like the seasons. You know, it's just a, you know, it's a windy day out, it's a rainy day out. You know, you hear, oh, I never knew the song sounded this way. I hear it this way now. I, you know, oh, I, I, I could really play it now. And then you try and play it, oh, I really couldn't play it now. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. so, all, all, all this stuff is, is really beyond us. You just do the best you can. But right. you, you really need to sort of... Uh, Take a stand. I, I would I would advise a musician. But on the other hand, maybe there are some musicians who can who can go deep in a bunch of styles simultaneously. Or maybe they're not interested in that. Maybe they just enjoy playing a bunch of different styles and it, and they're not looking for that 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 type of experience. So right. It's, 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 it's really up to I guess the individual ultimately. But uh, you know that that that's my advice. And and but it's only my advice. <laughs> you know. Yeah, and, and the thing is also is that, I mean, in, in many ways, although this is, you know, styles of music are, are of a time and place, and, and those time and places cease to exist. The place might exist, but it's not the same as it was back when the style was created. So, so um, you know, like, uh, 
you know, you could see a, 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 a picture of, of, of Bill Monroe from, you know, with Flatten Scruggs from 1947, you know, playing in front of like a, you know, the Purina posters and things like that. You yeah. see some of the people who who are, are hang out there backstage. And, and, and you can learn more about, you know, Bill Monroe's music and, and the context from that than you can even from the actual music, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah, it, that's great. It, it, but, but the, you know... But the music still, people are still playing that music great, and it, and and it still has has the vitality. But it's it's you know, it's it's music of a of a time and place. But I mean that doesn't mean that it's it's you know I can look at the gypsy jazz scene. You know I mean there's so many fabulous musicians. You know it's it's not quite the same as with, with Django and Stefan, but it's it's still happening. It's alive, but. You know those conditions and those sounds and that aesthetic. You know, it just doesn't exist anymore. It's sort right. of, you know, you know, you know what I'm saying. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think, no, I I understand 100. percent Yeah. So I don't know. I, I my phone might be going. I don't know. Oh no so, worries. Well, we we'll, we we'll yeah. just just a couple more here for you then, and then yeah. um For uh, so uh, gear, um, you know, you, yeah. I know you. Used to have that the old overhaul Gibson at at one point, but now you have a is it a Kimball? No, no, an A two C, and then I played Kimballs, an F five, then a two point, and then another F five for about ten ten years or so. And now I'm playing. Um, I have two mandolins that I play. I'm playing um, an Elias made by Lee Chapman in Charleston, West Virginia, an F five, and a Sorensen SX, a prototype model that he built that I'm playing. Those are wild looking, man. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the Steve does a, such amazing, innovative stuff. You know, this has a sound port on the F hole, and the, and the neck is wonderful, and uh, it sounds great. And the 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 um, the Elias, uh, you know, F five is is just you know, it's like really, you know, beautiful neck and and more traditional. In, in, in design and has just like a, 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 a very sort of singing type pure of tone. And, oh, nice. Uh, yeah, and I'm, I'm starting to think about fooling around a little bit with a, you know, like one of these electric mandolins. Oh, man. Like that. That'd be cool. So I played one at a music store the other day and I said, you know, this is the first time it sort of clicked with me. So, <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know. That's cool. But, you know, so we'll see what happens. Yeah, uh, any other questions before this phone dies? I apologize. Oh, yeah, yeah, no worries. If you had, if you only had 10 minutes a day to play, if you were somebody maybe just picking up the instrument, what is something you would pick up and focus on in the in that 10 minutes, just if they were, you know, somebody works a job 70 hours a week but still wants to play and get better, what would you recommend them working on? You know, it, it depends upon what they're what they're what they're playing and what they want to play. If mm-hmm. they're looking to maintain their facility, then I would do technical exercises that 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 seem to uh, be good for them to warm up and and keep their chops for for other music they're playing. If they're working on particular melodies and that's what they're drawn to, or they just want to play just to enjoy themselves, then I would I would play that. Nice. I'll, uh, last question here before your phone dies out on us. Beer. What if, if you were? Ah. Uh, let's uh, if you if, if you're gonna be picking the mandolin and dr- enjoying a beer, what would you be drinking? Uh, you know, Lagunitas Pale Ale, or you know, or you know, Samuel Adams Pale Ale, or a good porter, particularly if it's on tap. Nice. Um, occasionally, you know, a lager I like, but I really go for the the Indian Pale Ales or or the just the Pale Ales. Um, uh, you know, or the porters, and uh, and of course, good bourbon. <laughs> yeah, love a good bourbon. Yeah, awesome. And uh, I was gonna say, if you were gonna pick a fiddle tune, if you're gonna pick up your mandolin right now, or an old bluegrass song, what one do you think would pop up under your fingers? Um, I don't, I don't know. You know, I I, I found that basic sort of you know red roadblock tunes like turkey in the straw and and um arkansas traveler um will will you know are just vehicles for endless ideas cool. to improvise on and um you know um you know so you know i also like brown county breakdown a lot i mean that's oh, yeah. a, a, a fun tune to play um 
fiddle tunes. I don't know. I've been getting Peter and I fire on the mountain recently. <laughs> oh, cool! <laughs> That's a great you one. Know, and 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 uh, you know, train forty five. You know, in D, it's always fun. Yeah. Um, I don't know. You know, it it really depends upon what it, you know what I'm working on and what I'm sort of feeling. You know, at at the moment. For so, sure. Well, Andy, you know. it has been an honor talking with you. This has been great. I'm a well, I'm a well, fan. Well, thanks for putting up with my long windows. Oh, no, it was great. I, I appreciate you asking me. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll tell you what, when that new album's finished up, we'll get you back on and we'll promote it. We'll talk about the new album. We'll go track by track or something like that and have you on. Wow. Thanks. Thanks very much. Absolutely. Thanks very much. Thank you. And, and let me know when you're going to air this and what, you know, if you need me to do any more, I'll, I'll be good. Awesome. Will do. Thank you so much. Okay, it's great speaking with you. Yeah, you too, Andy. Take care, buddy. You too. Thanks. Thanks. Huh? Bye. Bye-bye. All right, there's episode number 34 in the books. Thank you so much to Andy Stappen for uh, being a guest. Thank you so much to all you listening out there. You guys take care of yourselves. Be safe. Next week, Tim Connell. Cheers, everybody.